Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We just had our annual Musicians on Musicians issue, and we're going to be playing some of the conversations from that package. We're going to start out with Lil Baby and Lil Wayne. Lil Baby, of course, is one of the year's biggest rappers. He had that amazing protest song, Bigger Picture, that helped win him the cover of Rolling Stone on his own earlier this year. And Lil Wayne really needs no introduction. They had a great conversation moderated by my colleague Dwayne Gage. It starts out with Lil Wayne explaining what he sees in the music of Lil Baby. When I listen to anybody, I'm listening to lyrics. I'm listening and hearing two different things. We hear shit, we might like stuff that we hear, but we only love things that we listen to. I start listening to the lyrics. I start listening to what the homie was saying. And then when you're speaking about something so real like that and figuring out how to make that shit actually go, go together and sound the way you make it sound, make it rhyme, even when it doesn't rhyme, even when it doesn't have to rhyme, that's when you're discovering something within yourself and you're discovering that, way. I am creative enough to do this shit. I am more creative than I think I am. I can hear that inside of it when I listen to it. Baby, we all know, like, Wayne the pioneer. In what ways did you say, like, Wayne style um, had an effect on you? Um, I always felt like Wayne did what he wanted to do in a sense. And the reason I felt like he could do whatever he wanted to do because he put the numbers up behind him. So that's the way I'm kind of rocking. Like, I'm going to rock out how I want to rock out as long as I put the numbers up. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm on some like, as long as I do what I need to do, shit, it'll be smooth for me. Speaking of numbers, the runs that y'all go on are when it comes to features, back-to-back tapes and albums. How do y'all keep up that work ethic and, like, keep fans wanting to hear you? I just do it. Like, I just keep the grind and keep on at it. And like, I'm like, man, I got to do this so my fans can keep on doing this. I'm just being me and just doing what I'm doing. I done got to a point where I feel like this shit made for me or like, you know, this what is destined for me to do to the point where I'm just doing it. I don't recall a point in time where I ever went back and said, okay, now I got to do this for this specific situation or I must do this for this. It's just, I do what I do, what I love to do and plain and simple and then Hopefully it works. And then I got great people around me, like my bro Mac. I got people like that around me. That's going. They all. He always know what everybody want. And I shoot for the goal and hopefully I hit it. How did you develop that work ethic? On my end, I think it comes from just the hustle and the grind, like period. Knowing the hustle and knowing like we go hard at what we do. Like follow the studio all day, we chop all day. Like oh, we used to, like we some all day niggas. I got it straight from Birdman. Birdman, Manny Fresh. And uh, Ronald Slim Williams, that's what they embedded in us, you know what I mean? Like, they went to the studio Monday through Monday. So they, they put this in my head since then that you must work no matter what. You know, they was literally, I was 14, I was 13. They had no problem with knowing that I had exams or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? They ain't tripping about none of that. You need to be in the studio. We need that verse. In the studio, it's like the same thing. And for me, it's like, oh, the outcome, like, we do this shit right, we can go on the road, we can go see all these females, we can get all this money. It's like my outlet. So like, nigga, go hard for this shit. How would you say, being from where you from, how much that shaped you? I feel like it shaped me a whole lot because, you know, that's my swag, that's my flavor, that's my flow, that's my talk, that's my walk. Like my everything, where you come from, you know what I'm saying? I feel like you come from me is 90% you, you know what I'm saying? Because where you come from, your environment, that make you think a certain way, that make you at the same way, you know what I'm saying? That's how I feel. And what about you, Wayne? Like, being from New Orleans, how did that How did that shape you? Being from New Orleans is the reason why I am a rapper, bro. You know, pl- plain and simple. Um, my oldest son, he's doing an assignment for school right now, and he asked me uh, this week, he was like, Dad, I have to do an assignment, it's on you. 
He's like, so can I ask you a few questions? And his question was, which rappers influence you to rap? Actually, I was like, your teachers or your, your friends, they're not going to know who Roni and little brother is. They're not going to know who that is. I was like, but my answer is, because I'm from New Orleans, we have a thing. Everybody have block parties. But we have them. We had them very frequent back then. You know, they were like a concert. But the mic was always open mic. And so, you know, those regular guys who was rocked them every um, block party, they became superstars. You know what I mean? No cars, no jewelry, no nothing. But that's Slime who be on it, who rocked the DJ. That's Ronnie. I saw him popping. I wanted all that. So one day I, I got hyped up, all jacked up off of some Mountain Dew. You know what I mean? I was, I was just 11 years old. I walked up to the DJ and asked him, let me see the mic. And shit, he let me see the mic and I did what I did from there. And what's your process going into like writing a song versus like maybe writing like an album? I got the same process, honestly. My whole process when I walk in the booth is like go hard. You feel me? Like that's I'm thinking. Like I'm thinking, make a song or this a feat. I'm just thinking like go hard as I can go on this beat. You get what I'm saying? I approach it a bit different. Of course, I got. I want to know who's the song for and what's the song about. And that after that, then I'm I go back into little baby mode, like he just said. <laughs> just go in there and kill it. I've always tried to impress. So whoever gives me a song, that's my main thing. That's my main thing. Like when I send it back, I want that person or th those people to be impressed and to be sad more than satisfied with what they just got back. I call y'all like the feature killers. Like people listening to the feature probably just for you. Is it kind of more of a competitive thing when you get on there? Like I'm finna go crazy. And a lot of time, I don't even be knowing what they said to afterwards. Like <laughs> so again, it been a lot of time. I've been kind of mad that I ain't listened to it because the artist was really talking on that bitch. You feel know I me? Mean? I would I would have had it come another way. You feel me? But right. for the most part, I don't even listen to it like that. Unless, like Wayne said, it's somebody who I'm already like fan of and I know how they coming, and I have to listen to it and you know, see exactly how they coming so I can come. And I just be aiming to make sure that the artist, when I send it back, the artist be like, fuck yeah, that's the one. I want to shoot a video to that motherfucker. That's what yeah. I mean. You know what I mean? That's all. I just be aiming for that. Y'all production level is on another level too, because obviously that's that going hand in hand with the raps. Can y'all talk about the process of beat selection and how you know, like, all right, this the one I want to hop on? I don't want to take nothing from the producers. I feel like when you that nigga rapping, it's more easier. Like, you damn nigga make the beat one of them ones. Beat might not be it for somebody else, the beats that we going crazy on. So it's like a, if the beat sound good, the rapper in his mode that time, he can make it one of them one. Like he said, all credit due to the producers with that too. If you love that music, then that's that's all them. As far as the picking process goes, shit. When it come up, if it catch my end, you know, in my head, I already start, mm, 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 mm. I know if I don't start doing that in my head when I hear it, then that means it's one of them ones. What's your process of picking? Like, all right, this should be a single for the album, all that. Or is it like a collective process with like people around you? Mac. That's plain and simple. If I don't know how I don't know, baby, I'll answer. I just throw them all out there on the table and let him pull his hair, pull his hair out. And he ain't even got no hair, that's why. But I give him like 90 songs when he all he actually needed was two. That comes from just having confidence in every single thing I do. And and thinking that every single song I do is worthy of being the number one song in the damn country. So therefore, I never get pissed at none of the songs he didn't pick. I just look at it like shit. The ones you did pick, those are the best ones. The ones you didn't pick, those are the best ones too. We save them for this. I might take verses off shit and put them, you know, mixtape, mixtapes, all that type of shit. Yeah, what about you, baby? Once I play the music for the bros and I see enough of them tell me to play that one back or they want to hear that one, 
You know what I'm saying? I kind of already could feel it. And like he's saying, like every song, but sometimes I feel it and I play it, I don't get the right reaction. I kind of know that this ain't what they want to hear. It's really my, my, my people around me. They kind of let me know. Put a little snippet on Instagram or something. I kind of work off of try to go off everybody else. Baby, can you remember like the first time you heard Wayne through your speakers and like, what was your impression? And then obviously, you know, Wayne, you the same thing out there, baby. I can't even remember, but maybe like elementary, going to middle yeah, school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we young, watching BT, like hip hop. We, you know, we went stepdaddy pants, motherfucker, biggie hell, no jerk. Everything, Wayne. You know? Can't really remember like the first time like, I heard a little Wayne song. You know, them motherfucker, word for word back then. It was only Lil Wayne down there. That's all a nigga know. I appreciate that love too. I heard and saw the video drip, drip too hard. At that time too, that was around the way where a lot of music was sounding the same. Homie came on that motherfucker. I'm like, but who this is? Mike tell me it was baby, but I said, bless. So once I, I go check him out some more, I spoke your name real quick or something like that uh, in front Regine. She's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I want to hear. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So once it got solidified, I was forever a fan, for real. But that was just my natural ear. My ears going, I'm attracted to what's naturally amazing to me. Wait, how do you stay so lyrical when it's coming off the top of your dome? Google. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I put in whatever uh, the lyric or the quote may be and make sure I haven't said it already. Other than that, though, man, it's just natural. Like I said, I get the topic, get the subject, know who the song for. If it's my song, just go for it. Right. Uh, baby, I know you said you trying to just kind of go in there and go off how you feeling, but how you start putting the art together since you wasn't a rapper before. I learned how to rap from like watching other people rap, or I learned how to go in the booth and put it together from watching other people. And I hadn't write, I hadn't seen nobody write them before. And that's one of the, the spots that I'm battling at an early stage. Like, I don't want to say that again, make sure I ain't say that, you know what I'm saying? So for Wayne, been going on so long and still, just now getting to that stage, but been able to still put out so many songs and not say the same thing. Like that's one of the one of the things that I get nervous about. Like, damn man, I gotta keep saying more shit, but it can happen. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Obviously, music come easy to y'all, so I would say what's probably some of the toughest challenges outside of making music that you face like in your life? 
me, it be just staying focused, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that I got a lot to lose nowadays and a lot of people depending on me, that's a hard challenge for me with all the distractions and shit that come with doing music. So that's like the main thing to me, and managing my money the right way. Hey man, for me, the most, I wouldn't say difficult challenge, but a challenging challenge would be trying to be the most perfect if there is a such thing father there is my kids to my three boys and my beautiful daughter like i said it's not difficult at all it's just the most challenging challenge and i love a challenge i think that melodically uh y'all don't get enough credit who are some of your influence outside of rap within music outside of rap is first it's gonna be miss anita baker miss anita baker then you take it to miss betty Wright. i'm gonna drop a little key sweat up in there then Miss Sade, I let Erica sing to me a few times. Like them, them type of songs, they, they soul music. You know what I'm saying? That shit you can feel. I might flip it, then go Smashing Pumpkins, and go Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, 311, little stuff like that. I, I flip it a little bit. Make sure I ain't crazy. Put it like that. I listen to everybody, every other genre of music to make sure that they just saying the same thing, just their way. What's probably one of the first albums that influenced you? Jay-Z in my lifetime, volume one. It was the first album where I actually had the car that the rapper was talking about. And also Jay talked so crazy on it. He went so he went bananas on that album. I got I got lyrics from that album tattooed on me and shit. So the album stuck with me for real, for real. Baby, what was like your first uh, biggest album influence? I ain't really had no first album influence. But since I can remember I've been on CDs, I had CD books. And- can't remember that first one, but since I can, since I was about seven or eight, I've been on music heavy, heavy. Before I ever thought about me rapping, I always remix people's songs or switch the words up, saying my partner's name, and they say they partner's name, or you no know, little stuff like that. So from the beginning, the first album I heard, I can't even remember. It's interesting that he said that because that was one of the main reasons of how I started as well. Just wanted to mimic what the person that I like, what I, what I like. I just wanted to mimic what they was doing. And so once I figured out how to do it, like he said, put my homies' names right there. When he say something, I know my mom ain't gonna allow me to say, switch that shit up and put something else right there. But that's the same process I go through when I make mixtapes. Baby already know I got the utmost respect, his shit, but now I wanna say to the, to the rappers and whoever song I did and I didn't know too much about you, please, Respect these fucking people that's rapping, these little boys right rapping today. Making a mixtape these days, trying to mimic what them little niggas said. It was a beautiful challenge, for real. I got a whole different level of respect for every single one of them out there. But baby, I already know, you already know, baby. I approached the songs that I did for baby shit on my mixtape. Me and him lied to you and told you that we don't care about the song. We don't care about the artists. We just, I did on this baby songs that I'm remaking. I care about the artists. I care about the song, the title, every damn thing he said. I got to make sure I say it just like him with my own shit. You're here. Coming soon. No ceilings three. Plug. Pow. <laughs> That's big. What are some of y'all, both y'all influences, uh, maybe outside of hip hop? Outside of music, my influence um, all day, every day is my children and my family. My inner circle, my homies, and my fans. My fans, plain and simple, that's the, just to know that somebody is actually gonna give a fuck about what I'm saying, that right there, that was the that was always the ultimate feeling from the moment I felt it. It's like one of the main things, once you get somebody really feeling what you saying, and it's moving, the shit you saying, moving them, or they wanna recite what you saying, like, shit, that's an autumn, like a, an everlasting fire. Exactly. And next up, 
is Brittany Howard and Margot Price. Brittany Howard is, of course, the lead singer of Alabama Shakes and Thunder Bitch, and most recently had a great solo album called Jamie. Margot Price is a really talented singer-songwriter from Nashville, and the two of them are actually really good friends, and they had a lot to say to each other. This conversation was moderated by Marissa Armas. Let's jump right in. Out of all the bands you've been in, like Thunder Bitch, Bermuda Triangle, Alabama Shakes, what is your favorite band? Or, you, or the band you have now that you are self-running? Like, Yeah, that's a great question. All of it to me feels very different. So um, different. It's like having different members of your family. Like to me, Alabama Shakes was like, you know, that's your brothers and sisters you grew up with. And then Bermuda Triangle was like soldiers in battle or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's your new family that you made. And then Thunder Bitch was, like, your friends that yeah. you know, you'd go out, stay out late with and do crazy mess with. And and then there's this group, which is, like, for the Bro. First, like a No, like a, tr- like a leader. Like, I'm like, yeah. this is my message, and this is what I'm trying to say, and this is the intentions behind it. And I f- it feels like a baseball team or something. Like, we're going to get it done. We're going to go out there yeah. and spread all this, like, goodness. So everyone was different, but I mean, if I had to choose, I might say Thunder Bitch is my baby. It was a time where I was becoming really powerful in myself and uh, being Thunder Bitch felt like I was 30 feet tall. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about your record. Let's talk about that's how rumors get started. Now, I'm sure this is the question that like you've been asked the most, but like, uh, what's up with that title? How'd you come up with it? Actually, I was I was drunk on a bus, and nice. um, you know, like the band, they'll they'll say things in passing, but none of them write songs. And my guitar player Jamie, he was just like eating like pie or something with his hands in the front. Yeah. He was like, "Be careful what you say, man. That's how rumors get started." And I was like, and "That's it." Yeah. Okay, I like that. Thanks yeah. to thanks be to Jamie for that one. That's right. Well, what's something that you guys have? kind of learn from each other over the years, over the course of your friendship? I mean, I saw Britney blow up. I mean, it was like one minute we were at the bomb shelter and, you know, she was like still working for the post office. And I remember, you know, everything just like took off and it was so incredible to see that happen. I feel like, you know, too many times, like there's artists that get like wildly popular and it's because it's like a fad or it's like marketed a certain way, but it was like, it gave me hope for like genuine music, just good music and, you know, and talent. And also just like seeing her like remain grounded through all of that. And like, you know, she'd come back, like she'd be jet setting with Paul McCartney and, (laughs) and then we'd go to like, I don't know, Franz and do karaoke and, go to Hermitage Cafe. <laughs> so that was that was definitely really cool to watch. And just, she did it with grace, you know, you always do. Thank you. I'd say the thing I learned from you, Margot, is perseverance. Like, I just know, I've known you through this entire uh, come up success story. And I remember there were times where you weren't so sure it was going to happen. And there were times where you wanted to give up or change your sound or, you know, you just weren't sure sometimes, but you never did give up and you just really became more yourself through this entire process. And I, I, you know, I'm so proud of you just knowing your story and knowing how hard you worked and uh, 
or how hard you work because now you have a big family full of animals and, and humans. Yeah, and uh, I got a cat for you. Yeah, and maybe I'm getting a cat during quarantine. Not sure. I hope so. But anyways, that's what I've learned from you is just like persevere, 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 and be tough, but also be kind. You can be all those things. You can be gentle, and you can be a motherfucker. And I really respect that about you. Crying. <laughs> One of the questions I had written down for you, Brittany, was like, "What is the thing?" in the music industry that has like pissed you off the most does anything really like bother you good god where do i begin <laughs> one of the things that really pisses me off the most is uh and this is controversial but i don't even understand why is streaming streaming pisses me the fuck off and the reason i say that is because there's becoming smaller and smaller ways of monetizing our work uh and one of those things that we have to do is leave our families and go hit the road and make the kind of money we need to survive. Because don't forget, folks, we also pay a lot of taxes. Oh, yeah. So all that work we're doing, 40% goes Uncle Sam. And then we get home and we just want to provide for our families like everybody else. We're working around the clock. Musicians, artists are working around the clock. When we're not on the road, we're coming up with new ideas. You know, in, in a way, quarantine has been a blessing for me because I get to take a break. I think a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, streaming is cool and it's convenient and it's here, but how do we make streaming work for musicians? That's one thing that really gets me. I think there's a better way. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think lately too, it's like with this rug pulled out from under us and no way to go out and tour, it's becoming more of an issue. And, you know, I think for, it's like something that everybody's kind of all accepted. It's like one of these necessary evils or something, but there still is a way to distribute it where it's not like some kind of pyramid scheme because that's what it is. It's a pyramid scheme and the people that are making the money aren't even doing the work. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, everything has really just become such a monopoly lately with, you know, everything kind of merged and the one guy bought it all. And, you know, it's, that's our industry, girl. But we're the ones that make this industry. What would your answer to that question be? Yes. What pisses you off the most about the music oh. industry, Margot? I was going to talk about streaming, but since, <laughs> since we already just got that out of the way, just genres and be everybody wanting to like stuff you into the genre. And then that's like how you're known forever. Like, do you still... How do people describe you when they describe your sounds, like in interviews, are they, is it, do you feel like you get labeled a lot like soul singer or like, I don't know, do you feel like you have like any bounds or, I feel like you've broken through so, so many of those like constraints that probably were first built with, you know, like you said, sound and color, like it was so different and, and so, um, still so you. Yeah, that's a good question. Every time I get into an Uber, or every time I did get into an Uber, and they're like, what kind of music do you make? I just say, my kind of music. That's the I best like answer that. I got. Yeah, because, you know, I'm self-taught, so I take from everything. Yeah. Because yeah. I have to. What about you? Like, country, Americana, but also yeah. now there's this new record, so it's like, you know, got some Neil Young inspiration, some more rock towards rock. Like you seem like you're changing things as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the thing. It's like, I, I don't even know what kind of label to put on it myself. And I, you know, I feel like people need like a label as like a reference or like, you know, they love to compare to like past artists, you know, yeah. she's like this, but 
I don't know. I think like genres were just designed to just to market. Yeah, that's a you know that's a good point because like you your your albums are considered Americana or country music. I don't even know how to phrase this, but like. Lay it on me. With the kind of reputation that country music has, especially here in Nashville, and it's kind of like the boys club, and everybody, you kind of got to get in in order to get successful. I mean, have have you witnessed any of this stuff? I mean, obviously you can't call nobody out, but like, unless you want to, but uh, <laughs> do you feel like you were part of th- this machine? Has your name, your group been involved in that kind of world? Or have you been able to stay on the outside of that kind of world? I feel like that was like my ambition with this third record too, was like to not have it, everything all like drenched in, in only country instrumentation, you know, because I hear that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, I didn't, I didn't want fiddle on it. I didn't want pedal steel and not because I don't love those things, but because there's more than just one genre of music that's interesting, you know? Yeah. And you knew my first band, Buffalo Clover. I was trying to, play more like rock and roll and like soul music back in those days. I don't know, you know, that it always came off and I was still like learning who I was and Mm -hmm. learning about who I was as a writer, but I did not want to continue to make like throwback country records over and over because it just seems boring, you know, to make the same record. And that's the same thing that you're doing too with like, I'm sure, you know, when you left your, your band, like, Probably there were a lot of people that questioned it. and Yeah, I feel like I questioned it a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, but you were the band. I mean, even though they were the band too, it's like you were writing the songs, it's your voice. like Yeah, you know. it, it was it was different collaboration. I liked collaborating with them, to be honest. It was like I, I felt comforted by having yeah. someone to have ideas thrown at and back and forth and sticking things to the wall. I, I really enjoyed being on a team I think I was more exploratory in myself just like what if I really could have the confidence to do this by myself because that's what it takes I mean you gotta it takes confidence because you could you could blow this whole thing up and then you're then what everything you know what I mean (laughs) it's scary that's what I'm trying to say it's scary to me it's like just as scary to like do the same thing over and over and like let the music like not be exciting you know yes yeah. i think when you're out of your comfort zone a little bit like that's that is where really great things happen and i i just definitely knew that i i wanted to branch out and i mean i'll probably always live here i mean there's part of me that you know would love to live on the west coast or you know just go live somewhere else for a while and and who knows with everything that's going on right now, I guess I got extended time, but I never felt like I was part of the country music establishment and, you know, the, the award shows and the, and the yeah. festivals that they put on. There, there was a couple of things that I was invited to, but then I think like there were just certain things that I said that took my name out of the hat. And like, there was things you said, like political things you said, or just comments about country music industry that I got you uninvited? Probably both. <laughs> But, you know, it's like with the gun control issue and like, you know, the shooting that happened in Vegas and Mm -hmm. then the way that that was all handled, maybe it was CMAs or whatever, it just all kind of got washed over. Nobody wants to say anything bad about the NRA. And I'm like, well, fuck them or, you know, fuck Trump, fuck whoever. I'm not, I'm not going to play their games and I don't care about co-writing with any of those people and I don't care about the awards or the, or the clique. See, that's what I'm saying, folks. Margot Price, she sticks to her guns. She is who she says she is. She walks a lot. She talks it. What you see is what you get. 
That's what I admire about Margot. And next up is Phoebe Bridgers and Lars Ulrich of Metallica. Now, Phoebe, of course, released the great album Punisher this year. We had her on the show by herself. She also has a couple of EPs out and no doubt is working on a ton of other stuff. The two of them seem to get along really well. It was a great conversation moderated by my colleague, Corey Grow. Here's how that went. You guys know each other. I know you guys met. Um, maybe just if you want to start off with Phoebe, how do you, how do you know Metallica? And then maybe Lars, too. Just, you know, what do you know about Phoebe? The first time I heard Metallica, I think it was a off-road video game that my brother got but I just like loved the music to it and it happened to be Metallica and then my fandom kind of blossomed obviously I was a kid in the early 2000s so it is always kind of a gift when a band that you just get into has an entire catalog already like they're still putting out albums but you just you get to go back and like listen to everything it's pretty crazy how especially the last album came out and i would say probably 50 percent of the kids out there are 15 or younger and are seeing metallica for the first time i can see it in my own kids you know especially my youngest his favorite band is like black sabbath and he's you know listening to all these great black sabbath songs and but he has no real understanding of the fact that the music he's listening to is 40 years old or 50 years old and it doesn't seem to have any role in his enjoyment and his connection of what what he's experiencing it's just so amazing how um music just continues to cycle through did a lot of the music that you grew up with come through your brother yeah i think so a lot of it came from my parents but my parents were pretty deep in like the laurel canyon kind of like folk scene i'm actually curious what you think about this because when i was a kid it was like new metal and stuff was happening and i didn't vibe with it that hard i liked you know like older metal bands always i was curious what you like what your relationship is to people referencing metallica have there been instances where you feel like flattered or you're like oh man that's so cool like this little kid is learning my drum parts are there times when you're like, Jesus, like, that's just exactly something that we made, but like worse? Well, I have a lot of mixed emotions about it. I mean, most of it, and I know you can relate to this, I guess I've always tried to speak my truth, but you learn kind of along the way that that truth is often momentary. And, you know, it's just sort of like, so you say something and then you, you read it a month later, it comes back to haunt you. So I have so many mixed emotions about what you're saying. Um, but I understand that Metallica has made a difference. And obviously, I'm super proud of that and super grateful. But at the same time, I've conditioned myself to kind of always look ahead. There's almost a fear of embracing the past, of kind of getting stuck in the past, a fear of, uh, of kind of glorifying the past. All four of us have kind of elements of that. So for us, it's always about what's next. It's always about the future. So what's your favorite Metallica record? Well, you know, my favorite Metallica is the one we haven't made yet. Because if that's not my favorite Metallica record, why do it? I mean, you have great fans too. But you also have fans that ha that are pretty entitled and have ownership over you. And are like, these are the real Metallica records. And then like, fuck them after this time. And then like we were just talking about, you also have 15-year-old kids who are seeing their first Metallica show. That's what changes a band from having like longevity to just being like, well, we should probably do what people liked last time that we did. Yeah, and, and, and obviously the difference now compared to back in the day is now that everybody's got an opinion, you got to be really careful you don't get caught up in that. Um, 
right when that shifted, you know, it's like, wow, this is really interesting. You can sit and read what people think of you after a while. It's like, hold on. (laughs) That can go someplace, maybe not great, you know? So I think there's this, this tendency to kind of glorify, I guess, you know, Astro Puppets, Ride the Lightning and Justice for All or whatever. Those are the guys that maybe have the, the loudest voices. But when you dig deeper into it, it's surprisingly pretty evenly spread out over the course of the 400 years we've been doing this. And the craziest thing is, is just what happened with the last record, because that became, this is the best record they've made, you know, in 25 years or whatever. So I guess if that can still happen, that's enough reason to keep doing it, you know? Yeah, and the internet, especially now, but even in the beginning, I think it incentivizes arguing. And I think it incentivizes like the craziest and loudest, most toxic people. So that stuff always kind of floats to the surface. But uh, I mean, the Napster thing is so interesting to me because now we're sitting in 2020 and somebody who doesn't play music at all is making all the money on streaming. And I feel like fans felt victimized because they were like, you know, I don't have any money and I just want to have this record. And it's like, you're getting fucked over too, dude. Like it's a new business now. Having come from somewhere where you made money actually on records and then now streaming is just kind of secondary and you have to go on tour constantly to make actual money. It's just, it must be so weird. It was a weird time uh, because it was so, um, it was so unexpected. So you consider 20 years later, and look at it. And, you know, most of the time when I meet people that were kind of around then, you know, they'll give me a little hug. Thank you for standing up for musicians, man. And thank you for having our back. There's no glory in any of that shit at all. Uh, I find no victory at all. It left me kind of shell-shocked because it, it was so unexpected. And it really started more as a, I don't know, like a street fight. It was like, wait a minute, one of our songs is playing on a bunch of radio stations in the Midwest. It's like, what the fuck is that? You know, it was a song we hadn't released yet. So we started tracing it back and it was like, hamster, what the fuck? And let's just go, you know, it was like, that's kind of the environment we were brought up in was, you know, if somebody fucked with you, you would just go after them. All of a sudden it was like, all the lights came on <laughs> and boom, the whole world was watching. It was like crazy. And, and it left certainly a pretty crazy taste in my mouth, especially because those couple of years, I mean, everybody was my friend. And then as soon as I was out there and I looked behind, there was not a single person behind me, totally. right? I was just out there by myself, obviously the support of the band. But it was just, it was really weird. So the way it's all kind of played out, I like the fact that you and me and Corey, you know, wanted to record a song this afternoon. We could have it streaming and sharing Mm -hmm. it with the world tomorrow. That's really cool because it's a way that we can all express ourselves without having to go through that whole record company fucking thing. But at the same time, obviously, as you know, there's nothing that makes anybody stand out. Yeah. How do you separate the Phoebe, Lars, and Corey band, you know, from the other Phoebe, Lars, and Corey bands that are on the same street? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and that becomes so hard. The amount of great shit that's out there that just doesn't find a way to rise up. So there's a, a positive and a negative to all that stuff uh, that you're talking about. But, you know, one thing I was, let me throw this back to you because I'm very proud of what we've done with Metallica in the last five years. We've made a real effort to really engage our social media, but it's still something that's kind of new to us. It's never been something that you've been an artist without. 
tell me about how you view social media and how you use it to get your shit out there and to communicate with your fans and so on. I always end up on the devil's advocate side of social media. Maybe it's just I have like a lot of older friends or people who aren't on it or think it's stupid. And I feel like I, I end up just being like, but look, this kid made up a dance to one of my songs and they didn't even have to really do anything. Does Metallica have TikTok dances? I bet they do. There's definitely some out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Such fast access. Same with streaming, like you're saying. Like you can just put stuff up. It's, it's nice to have like a direct line. I think that what's so nice about it is that you can be kind of really genuine or if my friend puts out a song that I think is rad, I can post it on Instagram and kind of direct fans to them. It's just just this kind of like constant window into, you know, my views on music or or telling people to vote. Um, I think it's great. But obviously it has a dark side like everything else. You ever sit there and go like, fuck, this is so cool. Should I just put it up on my Instagram now? You purposely sort of think of the social media aspect of it as you're creating? Not really. I think once once we're recording and kind of fucking around, it's fun to post little clips and stuff. But I'm not thinking about it like while I'm writing songs. Although I do send it immediately when I'm done with a song, I'll send it to like five people because I'm a solo artist. So I don't have a band. I just have like people to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, like my friends. So I like the immediacy of my cell phone basically being constantly around me. So when you say you're a solo artist, I mean, I found some clips of you, Einstein. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Einstein's, uh, was it Einstein's secret or Einstein's, Einstein's dirty secret. And Sloppy Jane. Oh, yeah. Sloppy Jane is sick. Sloppy Jane is those were, I mean, Those are two bands. Yes, uh, those that, are, yeah. So you started kind of just in, in the collective setup and the band setup and then migrated out of those two projects and do, to do your own thing? Yeah, I think I just didn't like my name very much uh, and was like, I got to have a band name. I want to be like rock. Um, so Einstein's Dirty Secret was just my songs. We were going for like a more hardcore thing than I think we, we achieved. I think it ended up being kind of like Coldplay. Every song was like, at the end, it was really loud. Um, <laughs> it like started really quiet but then Sloppy Jane is my friend's band that I just played bass in and I have many bands I have a band with Connor Oberst Better Living Community Center the other thing I was thinking about was you put out two albums two EPs you have the thing with Connor and you have one more band mm-hmm. right and you've done all of that in the same time we toured on our last album <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty, epic. <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I mean, are you always writing, you know, are you always just thinking about the next thing? Yeah, I think I'm writing regardless of what form it's going to take. So if someone's like, hey, we should start a band. I'm like, cool, I have, you know, three new songs that could be sweet or I have this guitar riff. But but yeah, that's a three-year album cycle is pretty, pretty steep. I can imagine why someone would maybe want to take a break. I'll throw this back to you also is when I think of 94 I think of, of two things always when Oasis put their first single Supersonic out which was a pretty significant moment um, for me musically and then obviously when Kurt died if that's 26 years ago when you think of the year you were born when you think of of Kurt Cobain and, and people like that I mean, do you think of them kind of in the same way that I could 
argue about Bill Haley and, and all those dudes, Little Richard being 20, 30 years before my time. You look at them more as, as, as peers, even though it's, you know, it's 25 years ago. I think I do more now. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, the legendary Kurt Cobain or the legendary Elliot Smith. Um, and then now just it makes me sad just being around L.A. and being like, we, we just would have known each other. Like could have seen him at some festival and like cross paths. It, it feels kind of like there's just something so fucked up about people dying young I, that I think I've just been reckoning with like the past couple of years where I'm like, you know, the Forever 27. I'm like, I'm going to be 27 next year. Like that's fucking insane. That's like no time. That's no time on earth. Like I can't wait to do so much shit, which is a testament to to their like artistry and and the um, the huge dent that they left. But yeah, that was like one of the first things I learned about my birth year because I was obsessed with Nirvana. What were the absolute first couple things you got into and how old were you? The first things I got into were like Tom Waits before I even really started thinking about music as something that I could play and do. Um, I remember being very resentful of like piano lessons. Nobody's teaching me Tom Waits and Nirvana and Jackson Brown. Pretty eclectic, but all from my parents. But I think one of the first things that I really discovered for myself was like Elliot Smith, uh, which was very influenced by like all that shit, really. And like my metal phase, which has lasted my whole life, uh, was very confusing to my parents, especially because they were just pumping me full of like James Taylor. But yeah, always super eclectic and always pretty resentful of like having to learn um, piano, which I wish I knew now. So how old were you when you started? I've been listening to music since I can remember. I probably the, fir- the very first thing when I had no autonomy uh, was the Beatles, which is a great starting place. I now have like an encyclopedic knowledge, especially because of Tony Berg. There is not a day that goes by that he doesn't make me listen to something that I haven't heard of the Beatles, which is like how they were banned for what, like five years. It's crazy how much there <laughs> there is. But then I started really playing when I was like, I don't know, 12. What was your first like super fandom and intro into drums and stuff? So my version of that uh, is, you know, my dad, he was playing tennis. Uh, that was kind of the day job, but music was his passion. And he was employed by a Danish newspaper to uh, review jazz music. And so my dad was playing that every day coming on. He had a, a music room that was next to my room and it was just blaring all of, of those artists, uh, especially like Dexter Gordon and, and uh, Charlie Parker. And occasionally uh, there would be not so much Beatles, but there would be Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. Doors and Hendrix, Zappa. And then when I was nine years old, I saw Deep Purple and that sort of changed my life. And then English music, just everything that was coming out of England, it was Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, uh, Uriah Heep, uh, and then all the, they're called glam bands in America, which I never quite understand, but <laughs> Sweet, Sweet and Slade. And then uh, a movement called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, uh, which was sort of Iron Maiden, Saxon, Def Leppard. That started in 79, 80, and that's what really made me want to be in a band. Totally. I actually started playing guitar, but I found myself air drumming. I don't know why, and I just wanted to be in a new wave of British heavy metal band. And so I uh, put an ad in uh, Recycler. You know what the Recyclers? No, but I'm loving this. <laughs> the Recycler is kind of like Craigslist. Uh, yes. Going to any 7-Eleven, there'd be Recycler, and somebody was selling their car, motorcycle, or bicycle, whatever. And there was a small couple of sections in the back, you know, musicians looking for uh, bands and bands looking for musicians. And I put 
drummer wants to start a heavy metal band. That's how I met Hetfield. And then um, we started Metallica. And Metallica is uh, the only band I've ever been in, which is pretty crazy. That's like some just like rock doc catnip right there is like meeting in an ad. That's so fucking cool. And what's so crazy, I guess, about our story is just the fact that we were so young. I was 17. Hetfield was 18. We just started. And within six months, we were playing shows up in Hollywood, not fitting in at all, feeling totally ostracized and fucking like outcasts or whatever. But then somebody invited us to come play in San Francisco and we fell in love with San Francisco instantly and moved up here like five minutes later. You got to tell me the, uh, of a Lemmy reference and smoke signals. Yeah, it was just like a true story. I was on I was on a road trip with my drummer and we were listening to the radio and they were talking about how Lemmy passed away on the radio and I was like, Lemmy was alive? You know, I was like, oh my fucking God, it's crazy that he was alive this whole time. So he like died twice to me. I guess I just like sometimes always assume those people who are kind of famous for like living hard aren't around anymore. And so it was just like a weird mind fuck. And then, yeah, we just like spent the whole road trip like screaming along and like making playlists and kind of like re- revisiting music I hadn't listened to since, I don't know, in like so many years. And uh, it's fond, fond memories for sure. Cool. Yeah, they what also part, had a- Were there huh? other bands? No, sorry, finish your thought. Totally, there were other bands on our, what did we put on that playlist? I probably still have it. That is one thing that I love about the internet is you can kind of like- if you misplace a record in your apartment, you're like, yes, I have no idea what that is. But then the internet, it has like my summer 2011 playlist on like my Spotify. <laughs> I listen to a lot of Motorhead, a lot of Metallica, um, have dappled in the Slayer world. And then like may- weirdly really late for me, but my- maybe like 2013, I got like super, super into Nine Inch Nails. You can't deny him and his talent. Yeah. Yeah. The sounds too. Like I'm, I'm kind of like a production nerd and it's one of those musical influences that I feel like isn't very obvious in my music, but um, hopefully with maybe this next record, kind of, kind of this record, I've, I visit it, but, but not that hard. I also have kind of an apathetic voice and I I feel self-conscious that when I scream, I sound like musical theater. You know, I don't have like a metal, like ah, style scream. I just have like a, yeah. (laughs) When I sing loud. Let that be a good thing, okay? (laughs) So that's our episode for today. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are, of course, a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review and five beautiful stars on iTunes. It is always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.